Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified Podcast, episode number 37. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has for over 15 years delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratisfied, a natural foods company I launched in in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our products are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit gratisfied.com and use the promo code healthified at checkout. Today's repeat guest is Amanda Nybert, registered dietitian specializing in weight loss nutrition. This is her second time on the Healthified podcast because she is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things nutrition and has taken a non-traditional route, growing her loyal audience online. She is passionate about motivating, supporting, and educating people to meet their wellness goals. Amanda's purpose is to empower others who want to get back on track and take control of their health. With 20 years of knowledge and experience under her belt, she is able to guide others in their weight loss and wellness journeys. With her custom lean program, range of coaching services, and multiple shop offerings, she has cultivated a brand that focuses on giving participants the leading tools and resources to help reach the best version of themselves. Amanda's goal is to provide the most current cutting edge nutritional techniques that not only provide results, but are also sustainable for life. In our conversation, we discuss how to simplify nutrition and shift away from an all or nothing mindset factors other than calories and exercise that affect weight regulation, how deprivation and restriction can be more harmful than eating unhealthy foods, the effects of alcohol on health and her opinion on the matter common barriers that keep many people from achieving a healthier lifestyle and how to overcome them, how to encourage kids to acquire healthy habits. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming back on the Healthified podcast. I'm so excited to have you back. So excited to be here. And for those of you who don't know, this is Amanda Nybert, registered dietitian. I'm going to let her tell you more about her background and story, but the way that Amanda and my path crossed is, is really fun story for me because, um, she is from Virginia where I am from and now currently in Kentucky. Um, but she had come up to Richmond for an event where gratified bars were present and I guess you had one and fell in love with them. Yeah. And then we, um, have been connected ever since just kind of being in the same wellness space. And you're someone who I admire and look up to really doing it from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, has just grown your platform to an amazing place and, um, you know, do your lean program and you're just very inspiring and motivating. So just wanted to acknowledge you for that. And just, I'm so glad you're in my experience. Yes. I feel the same way, Sarah. I mean, you know, I, I feel like gratified was a, a, a baby when we connected and crossed paths and I've yeah. seen your own business grow and, and get into whole foods and come to Kentucky and it's exciting. Oh, thank you. Sometimes I wonder, it's like, which one is more challenging, the business baby or the actual baby? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Doing them at the same time is, um, yeah, just more bang for your buck. Um, all right. Well, let's get into it. So um, Amanda and I have a first conversation that is season two of the Healthified podcast. So if you've not listened to that, I would go back. It is such a great conversation, gets more into kind of the um, nutrition, intermittent fasting, carb cycling, things like that. Um, but so for those of you who, um, for those that don't know you, can you tell a little bit more about your background story and how you got to where you are? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Amanda Nybert. I'm actually from Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, basically grew up there, um, then came to the University of Kentucky for college um, got a degree in dietetics, became a registered dietitian, and, you know, really worked in the clinical setting for nearly um, two decades um, in the field of weight loss, uh, basically a hospital kind of approach. And approaching my 40th birthday, I kind of had an aha moment. I'm either going to, you know, be in this clinical setting doing the same thing, 
you know, over and over making the same amount of money, um, you know, for the next 20 years, or I'm going to do something different and kind of branch out on my own and try to help people help the masses. And I kind of took a leap of faith and, and did just that. And a year later left the clinical setting and I've been working with clients virtually through my lean, my signature program, lean living energized and nourished, um, for about the past four years. And it's been really exciting to be able to connect with people really all over the world. And, um, my, you know, main goal is to simplify nutrition I think that, you know, as a, as a dietitian, the thing that frustrates me the most is how complicated we try to make eating healthy when at the end of the day, it it's, it's just very simple. So, you know, that's my main mission in addition to helping people um, make a mindset shift, you know, with my experience in the clinical setting a weight loss clinical setting, you know, um, I found over time that the reason why people fail in the long run with regards to long-term weight loss success, it's not really about what you're eating or how much you're exercising. It's really the all or nothing mindset. You know, the thought that in order to be successful, you have to do it all. And if you can't do it all, then it's not worth doing anything. So, you know, I would see people in those patterns of, you know, the first of the year going kind of all in for three to four months, losing a bunch of weight. And then summer comes along, you know, they're not able to kind of do it all. They slide off track and then they're right back to where they started a couple of months later. So um, those are really my two main missions, simplify nutrition and help people break the all or nothing mindset. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, in our first conversation, we really broke down the difference between kind of the more traditional clinical approach to nutrition and taking on a more holistic approach, especially the way that mindset plays into it. And I want to get all into the mindset side of things, because that is um, also something I have always been super interested in as being a health coach and knowing that like, oh, this isn't really about the food, right? Like it's about um, people's um, hesitation with establishing the habits they know that they need to establish self-sabotage, things like that. So, um, I want to get into the nitty gritty, but first of all, I would be curious to know, like when you say the hospital approach to weight loss, what is the difference between that and kind of the lean program, um, and the perceptions of metabolism? Because I still think that there are some persisting, perceptions about like calories in calories out. So can you explain that difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I think the, you know, old school model is eat less exercise more, you know, we, um, kind of stereotype people that are overweight and obese, you know, by thinking that they're overeating and under exercising when we now know that it's definitely a lot more complicated than that you know, inflammation plays a huge role in, you know, your body's ability to lose and gain weight, um, your endocrine system, your, your hormones, the, the cortisol and the insulin play a huge role in, in your body's ability to lose and gain weight. So, um, you know, those are things that I take more into account with my lean program, um, than you see taking into account in, um, kind of a hospital setting. So I always say, You know, in 1977, when the food guide pyramid was created, it was created on a lot of assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a there was very little scientific data and what data was available in that time has now been significantly debunked. And the biggest assumption was, you know, um, you know, calories are king. And that's why we villainized fat is because for every gram of fat, you get nine calories. But for every gram of carbohydrate and protein, you only get four calories. So Again, the assumption was we need to eat less fat because it is so calorically dense. Well, we now know that it's not really fat that was contributing to obesity. It's more carbohydrates and sugars mm-hmm. um, that are really driving that, you know, um, fat response. And, um, you know, so when we focus on balancing out our macronutrients, you know, that's really what I focus on in the lean program. Um, And when we talk about macronutrients, those are carbohydrates, proteins, fats, and alcohol is the fourth macronutrient. (laughs) I always like to mention that, Um, you know, it's, it's really, yes, at the end of the day, calories do count, they do matter, but it's really the ratio in which your calories, you know, um, in which you're consuming calories that matter more. 
Um, so the, ultimately those traditional nutritional guidelines that were set um, really skyrocketed obesity in the United States. You know, prior to 1977, our obesity rate was really flat. From that moment forward, low fat, low calorie diets, our obesity rates have significantly increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, people overcomplicate nutrition, right? And, and rightfully so, because there's so much nutritional information out there and so many different diet trends from paleo to keto to veganism. So when you're working with a group of people or even just with a client one-on-one, how do you help someone to navigate that nutritional confusion in figuring out the best foods that work for them? Because there still is this concept of bio-individuality, right? Like, yes, macro management is important, but like, what if someone, you know, chicken doesn't work well for them, like fish does. So can you talk more about that? Yeah. You know, and I tend, again, I'm working with kind of entry level clients, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I don't typically work with, you know, people that have, you know, significant chronic autoimmune, you know, uh-huh. type of conditions, which they, I, I feel like there are, there is a small subset of people that would benefit from very specific dietary regime, you know, regime. Yeah. but here's the deal. This is what I tell people. I'm like, you're not special. Okay. If you have diabetes, if you have hypertension, if you have PCOS, if you have Hashimoto's, if you have IBS, you know, anything like that, you're not, spe- you're not that special. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like people you know, get so overwhelmed with thinking that they're so special that what they need is a very special approach. Okay. Mm -hmm. When at the end of the day, we all just need to eat whole foods. We need to eat quality animal protein. We need to eat tons of fruits and vegetables. We need to eat, you know, quality, um, whole grains and, and we need to limit processed foods, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that when you're starting your health and wellness journey, Um, and you're going from eating the standard American diet, we call it the sad diet. If you overwhelm yourself with, you know, very specific dietary principles, it's too much, Mm -hmm. you know? So you kind of, I like to start with a foundational approach, you know, where all food fits. Um, You know, it always makes me funny when people will be like, well, you know, I, I made meatloaf and mashed potatoes and green beans for my family. And, but I didn't know what to eat. Like, when did meatloaf become an unhealthy food? You know, Uh when did mashed potatoes become an unhealthy food? When did green beans become an unhealthy food? And it's like, those are all healthy choices, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So recognizing that you don't have to be eating grilled chicken and steamed broccoli to be healthy, you know, it's really about kind of creating that balance. So that's really where I start with my clients is just Mm -hmm. getting them to focus more on whole foods, getting them to focus more on cooking at home, you know, buying fresh produce and, and preparing those things. Then, you know, I always say once you're six weeks, eight weeks, you know, four or five months in, then if you feel like you're not feeling the way that you want to feel, you're not getting the results that you want to get, then maybe we dial it down and we look at lectins. We look at, you know, Mm -hmm. um, a low food map diet. We look at, you know, um, paleo versus keto, those types of things, but that's Mm -hmm. not where you start in my opinion. Right. And I think, you know, you brought up a good point of, and I listened to this in your Ted talk as well, which Amanda was on a Ted talk. It was brilliant. You did such an amazing job. You should all go and listen to that. But you mentioned something about how our uh, nutritional guidelines for over the past few decades were established out of fear. Yeah. And I think that that also like plays into, and is very indicative of people's relationship with food and this fear that surrounds it. So instead of fear, how should we a be establishing our nutritional guidelines and how do you shift people away from being so fearful of food? Yeah. I mean, it started with the fear of fat you Mm -hmm. know, with the first nutritional guidelines. Now it's the fear of carbohydrates and sugars, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and what that does is it, it, again, it completely feeds into that all or nothing mindset, because if you're eating low fat, you're inevitably, you know, inevitably eating high carb, high sugar. And if you're eating low carb, low sugar, you're eating high fat. And I think what we've missed in terms of 
you know, our evolution and what our diet has looked like for, you know, decades and decades before the seventies is that, you know, we had balance. We all ate a certain portion of carbs. We all ate certain portions of fats. And it was really that balance that created our, our healthy being. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I definitely think that, you know, getting people to recognize that there are no absolutes with regards to nutrition for most people, right. you know, understanding what's the difference between, you know, low carb and too many carbs, you right. know, that middle right. ground, what's the difference right. between low fat and too much fat, that middle ground. Right. Um, and again, I think that that removes like, um, that personal, um, you know, attack that we have on each other when we do have a couple of donuts in the morning, or we do go out and have pizza and beer with our friends, instead of seeing that as, you know, enjoyment and, um, you know, socialization, you know, we go home and beat ourselves up. Um, so I definitely agree with what you're saying in terms of, we have to, we have to help people see that all foods fit you know, in some capacity that there is no one food better than the other. And and that, you know, you don't have to fear macronutrients in order to be successful. Yeah. And I also think too, that there can be this element, the foundation of choices, like what's the intentionality, what's the mindset underneath a choice, right? So for example, like I know that if, uh, I mean, I love pizza and beer, don't get me wrong. I have to make it kind of more of a rarity than a normal occurrence because I know that it's probably not going to make me feel my best the next day. Like wine and like a hummus plate, like that would make me feel a little bit better um, because it doesn't affect my blood sugar as much. So I think it's important for people to understand like if there's not this sense of deprivation behind choosing or not choosing a thing, but more of like from a self-care perspective that can set you up for better success because you are staying aligned with like still from like a positive place. Does that make sense? Oh, Sarah, that is the key to long-term success. When you take out weight loss, Mm -hmm. when you take out the scale and you focus on how you feel, that's the shift that makes all the difference because you know, like you said, I mean, I'm the exact same way. I know if I go into a night of pizza and beer, I'm not, I'm going to feel like crap the next day, you know, now some days it's worth that, you know, if I go to Goodfellas and I, that's my favorite pizza and I'm drinking my, you know, favorite beer, you know, whatever, then, then in that scenario, it's worth it, you -hmm. know? But, um, you know, just to do that kind of every Friday night, like you, it's not worth it because I run more on, you know, chasing that good feeling than I do run more on chasing weight loss. And, and I really see that once my clients begin to make that shift in terms of recognizing how, what they eat makes them feel and how, what they eat makes them feel, and then leads to their other food choices. then that's when, you know, you don't, you feel like you have a choice. Like I can have all the pizza and beer I want, but I choose not to because it doesn't make me feel good. Right. You know, not that I don't, I choose not to, because I want to lose weight. Right. So I, I completely agree with that. And I think that that is the mindset shift that people, once they make that, then, you know, again, all foods fit food freedom, you know, it's more of your choice in terms of, you know, what you pick and choose to eat. Yeah. And I kind of want to pick your brain for a second because, um, going on like a quick tangent, you know, my nutritional, um, coaching was always in the foundation of blood sugar balance. And I've done a lot of research on insulin management and, and things like that. And I actually, for a majority of my pregnancy wore a continuous glucose monitor and wore it for, um, a few weeks postpartum. And I finally had to take it off because it was just like, I was like, Oh, I have, I know too much. Right. 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 And, and so I'm curious, just like, you know, kind of to be selfish and take this on a personal bent for a second. It's like, I see on my continuous glucose monitors, the monitor, the foods that actually make my blood sugar crazily spike. Right. And, and some of those foods would be considered healthy. Like sweet potato makes my blood sugar spike a lot higher than butternut squash. 
And I'm very cognizant of where my mindset goes, especially with um, having a history of disordered eating. And so it's just like something I'm very self-aware about. And so I could see kind of like the fear trickling back in. And so it's like, how do you walk that fine line between like the nutritional science and not saying that sweet potatoes by any means are, you shouldn't be eating them because they're a very healthy nutrient dense food. But it's like those foods that you know may affect your blood sugar, but also the emotional side of like, I just want a sweet potato every now and again. I love them. Yeah. And, you know, sweet, and, and I should, I think it should also be mentioned that sweet potatoes may cause your blood sugar to spike, but they may not cause right. my blood sugar to spike. You right. know, exactly. everyone reacts to food in a different way. You know, in my mind, cause I do a lot of, we, we actually do small CGM groups with um, my monthly clients. And what I tell people is, um, you know, knowledge is power, mm-hmm. you know, having the knowledge of how food interacts with your body, again, just allows you to make that leveled up choice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but I do, I totally see what, what you say. And, and I see this a lot in my clients that get consumed with macro management. So, you know, initially in my lean program, we track all the food that we eat because I think it creates nutritional awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't realize that their granola, their healthy granola you know, that they're eating every morning on top of their, you know, healthy yogurt is 75 grams of sugar. Right. You know, so I I do work with a lot of women who are like, Amanda, I eat healthy and, you know, I'm not seeing progress and it's like healthy food adds up. But um, on the flip side, people will get neurotic about, you know, again, like, oh, I can't have that because that's going to put me 10 grams over my carb needs or, you know, things like that. So, I do feel like that there is, you know, you, you have to kind of look inside yourself to make sure, you know, is this um, impacting me in a positive way? Am I taking this information and utilizing it in a positive way or is it consuming me in a negative way? Right. And I think in your scenario, you know, recognizing that mm, this is getting a little, I'm getting a little, you know, too obsessive, mm-hmm. especially around healthy foods, you know? Right. Um, it's good to kind of take a step back. Right. But on the flip side of that, I think it's very interesting because I work, I work with a lot of women, you know, and again, sugar's big. Like we all crave sugar, you yeah. know, and yeah. you know, and I'm sure your listeners know it is, it is a blood sugar management balance. You know, yeah. the more sugar you eat, the more you crave it, the more you want it, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I will find clients that, you know, will have these kind of um, you know, they'll be good for a couple of days and then they'll binge on sugar and they'll be good for a couple of days and they'll binge on sugar. And I'm like, well, why don't, why don't you, instead of binging on Skittles, why don't you binge on grapes? And they're like, well, but grapes are high in carbs, high in sugar. And I'm like, but they're not Skittles, you know, a lot of times we villainize, we're like, oh, I can't have grapes. I can't have apples. I can't have bananas. They're high in sugar. But then on the next, you know, two hours later, we're eating a, a two pieces of chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm, I tell my clients, I'm like, a lot of times your sugar cravings, they're not a macronutrient issue. They're a micronutrient issue. Mm-hmm. Like your body, if you feed it more vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin you know D, all of those micronutrients on top of fiber and, you know, um, natural sugars, like your cravings are more um, addressed than if you eat a very low nutrient dense food, you know, that's just loaded with macros that are going to cause your blood sugar to rise. So I think that's always, I always, that always makes me laugh. You know, you're not going to eat fruit, but you're going to binge on, you know, kind of junk food. So it goes both ways. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. This is something that I saw a lot in my health coaching practice was this, you know, emotional component to eating. And I'm sure you see it and hear about it all the time from your participants and your clients. And so I want to get into that a little bit, because I think you mentioned a really good point about we all crave sugar, right? Like there's this biological physiological, um, aspect going on with our need for sweet foods, but then there's this also, um, neurological and emotional component to it. And the fact of like, you know, if we're feeling a negative emotion, a lot of women, especially turn to food as this coping mechanism. 
So I imagine that you kind of have to unpack that with your clients on the same time of them doing the kind of more nutritional awareness work. So what are the tools that you encourage or the reflective exercises you encourage to have people kind of overcome, um, not even overcome the emotional attachment to food, but make it a little bit more positive and health supportive? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I think for so many people, you know, it's like, well, don't, you know, only eat when you're hungry. And people will be like, well, I'm never hungry. I'm just always eating, you know, <laughs> and, and that is kind of a, a, a real, you know, um, a real realization of, okay, well, why are you eating? We're eating because of stress. Right. We're eating because of lack of sleep. We're eating because of anxiety. We're eating because we're sad. We're happy, you know, all of those things. So, you know, I think, um, you know, understanding what drives you to eat is very powerful. And I think just the realization of why am I, you know, in this scenario um, is the first step. And, and we do that work in my monthly membership, we actually focus a whole, um, you know, month on kind of like emotional and stress eating. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that we encourage um, um, my clients to do is just to create that awareness, you know, okay, you know, I'm craving, I'm looking for something sweet and salty. I need this right now. And it's like pausing and saying, why, why, why am I having these feelings? And in most cases you can identify, well, I just had a really stressful call with my boss. I just had a fight with my husband. I just yelled at my kids, you know, you can kind of identify the scenario that kind of triggered this, you know, kind of craving and want. And so I think that that's kind of the first step is, is being aware of when you're, more emotionally eating, stress Mm -hmm. eating versus eating for hunger. You know, the next step is like, okay, well then how are you going to address this? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, are you going to give in to the, you know, donuts in the pantry or are you going to, you know, have an apple with peanut butter, um, which still maybe addresses your sweet tooth, but in a healthier way, or are you going to deal with it without food altogether? You know, right. stop using food as reward or, you know, um, you know, punishment in terms of, okay, I recognize this. So I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go do 10 minutes of deep breathing. I'm going to do meditation. And I know sometimes that stuff feels like, so like frou fruit, you know, yeah. it's so out there, but guys, this is what we're missing yes. in our lifestyle right now. We are all, especially with what we've gone through over the last 18 months, we are all so high strung, high stress, high anxiety, high cortisol, you know, that, that we don't know what it feels like to be, you know, centered and, and calm and relaxed and, and simple breathing exercises and, you know, walks and things like that can make a huge difference in, you know, your ability to manage kind of stress and emotional eating you know, you talk about it, we call it kind of self-care. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are so disconnected from their physical body. And so when you're kind of living up here in the headspace and, you know, there is this crazy drive to go do something to soothe whatever um, uncomfortable emotion they're feeling, you know, it's just, you, there's like this lack of control. And I know that I've had clients be like, it's like, I'm on autopilot. Like, I don't even know. And then all of a sudden my hand is like bottom down into the chip bag. And it's just like people's inability to get into their body. And so I think, you know, to your point of what you're saying about taking a walk or doing meditation or breathing exercises, like, I think that kind of grounds you and it drops you into your physical body. So you can kind of get a little bit more in tune to what you really need. Like if it's, stress reduction, like food, isn't really going to do that for you, you know, cause it's just going to on the other side of, you know, a binge eating episode, if you're eating in the face of stress, it's just another comfortable emotion, right? It's probably guilt or frustration or, you know, so it's just kind of a vicious cycle. So it's just getting in your body is one way to actually help pop you out of that cycle. In my opinion. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, um, obviously I've done a lot of research on like intermittent fasting and, you know, kind of time restricted eating, um, you know, uh, which I think can be a good and bad, you know, strategy to use, but, uh, you know, hunger is cyclical. Mm -hmm. It's not forever. 
You know, (laughs) it doesn't, you don't, I I promise you, you don't stay hungry forever, you know, so typically um, in those, in those times, it's just like, yes, you feel the need to eat, but when you just give yourself time, you know, whether that be get into an activity that keeps you busy or, you know, doing something very intentional, like a walk or meditation, it goes away. It goes away, you know? So again, learning those strategies that, um, help you manage that, that very specific moment that you put yourself in, um, is powerful in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it goes away. And it's also, that's very motivating to want to choose foods that actually, have you feeling more energized and light and vibrant in your body on the other side versus choosing the foods that may make you feel lethargic or that spike and crash or, um, you know, just mentally brain foggy. So it can be like, yes, like what, how do you want to feel on the other side of quelling that hunger? Yeah. You know, I, I think that, you know, people don't realize how bad they feel until you get to the other side right. of exactly. feeling exactly what you're talking about, light, elevated, you know, um, leaf, you know, <laughs> even in your big body, you can still feel very airy and light. Um, yeah. And it is totally 100% about how you're fueling your body. Um, and you know, it, I see that a lot in, in my clients in terms of, because trust me, when you're coming out of the standard American diet, you know, you know, my tagline, don't eat like an asshole. Yeah. Like if you've been eating like an asshole for, you know, most of your life, you know, those first couple of days, you don't feel good. Like Mm -hmm. even for some people, the first seven to 14 days, you don't feel good. I mean, your body's going through a physical detox, but it's like, if I can support you, if you can support them, you know, to power through, to get over that hump, it's like, right. once you come out the other side, it's, you never want to go back. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's really, again, it's the ability to chase that feeling mm-hmm. is where people make that huge shift for, from, you know, being on the diet roller coaster where you're gaining and losing the same, you know, 20 pounds over and over versus, you know, long-term success. Yes, exactly. And um, I want to talk about sustainability because I think that that's so important and especially as it ties back into the mindset side of things. So I'd be curious kind of like with your clients or even just other people you talk to, what's kind of like, I don't want to use the word excuse because that has a negative connotation, but what are the reasons you find that people, yeah, it's a good, there you go, that they kind of keep themselves in that cycle versus taking on a more sustainable approach? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, they are excuses. I mean, that is, that is the um, hard facts. Mm -hmm. Um, I can nicely call them barriers to success. That's what I obstacles, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, you know, when I think about, most people, um, I would say time, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to meal prep. I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time. But at the end of the day, that is the biggest excuse because you make time for right. what matters, you know? Right. And maybe right. you don't have time to do it all. Like, yes, I totally agree with that. If you're in the all or nothing mindset and you think you have to meditate and exercise and eat whole foods and cook every meal and, you know, do all these things. Yeah. Then most people probably don't have time to do that in the beginning, but everybody has time to implement one healthy habit, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you make that something that is becomes effortlessly, you know, it doesn't require time now to drink, you know, tons of water, electrolyte water, and then you add a new habit. Um, So if we're talking about excuses, I think that that's really the biggest excuse that, that people will make, um, is regards to, I don't have time. Um, when we talk about sustainability, you know, mm-hmm. my, my whole focus is really, um, you know, the whole 80, 20 approach, you know, getting people to break the all or nothing mindset, you know, right. You don't have to be a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time to be successful, but you mm-hmm. do have to be consistently good you know, Mm -hmm. and consistently Mm -hmm. good is not 60, 40. For most people, it's not 70, 30. 
consistently good for forward progress is absolutely minimum 80, 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like and- to, I like to, I'll just put it in perspective because I think this is yeah, really please. interesting. So um, alcohol, it's a big one, especially for my clients. I think people are drinking more than they ever have, you know, over the last 18 months. And let me tell you, alcohol is crushing your health. I mean, it's the hard facts girls. I live to drink wine and tequila, but it crushes your sleep. It crushes your health. You can't drink every day and and think that you're going to feel your best and and look your best. But if you look at a month, that's 30 days and you say, I'm only going to drink 20% of this month. That's not Friday and Saturday. Okay. That's eight days. Okay. 20% is six days. So in a 30 day period, if you really want to, you know, and embody this 80, 20, then you don't get to drink every Friday and Saturday. You know, you, you get to drink, you know, six days a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, yeah, I don't drink, you know, I only drink 20%, but they're drinking every Friday and Saturday. Well, that's not right. 20%, you know, right. that's closer to, you know, 25, 30%. And mm-hmm. that makes a difference. So really quantifying what that effort looks like. And, and I'm, I don't know if you do this, but I, I use, and we can share this, you know, Ooh. with your listeners. Oh, well, they can't see it, <laughs> but I, it's a habit tracker. You okay. Know? I love that. Yeah. So I based a habit hacker in the past, but I like the habit. Okay, yeah. So it's yeah. basically like where you actually quantify your healthy effort, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so at the end of 30 days, it's like, did I really only drink 20% of the time or, yeah. you know, did I drink more than I thought I did? Yeah. And I've actually, with things like that, used, um, you know, the star stickers that you had in elementary school, because there's nothing more satisfying than putting it on a star sticker. And I want to get into the alcohol piece in a little bit, um, because I would be curious to kind of hear um, how you navigate that side of things. But I want to go back and talk about time and just kind of highlight the fact that it's really what you value, right? Yeah. And and what you said about making time. And I mean, I had a baby 12 weeks ago and, you know, the eating healthy while postpartum was a non-negotiable for me. And it was yeah. like, how in the world do you have time to make these lunch salads with seared salmon on top? And I'm like, well, it's what I value. And instead of like sitting on my couch and like watching Instagram stories, I'm doing meal prep. Um, and I'm asking for help. Like I'm asking my mother-in-law to watch my baby so that I can kind of like get organized with, you know, my meals for the coming few days. Um, and you know, that's just one scenario, but it's really just being honest with yourself and being like, where can you make the time and what can you let go of in order to establish healthier habits in whatever area you're wanting to. Um, so just wanted to kind of no, I, and I mean, I, I can like it, it is exactly. I mean, yes, I, I think people are more time strapped than others, but at the end of the day, I mean, we can just look, mm-hmm. like you said, we can look at our phone usage, you know, yep. and see where we are zapping a lot of valuable time that, you know, we could be utilizing in another healthy space. Yeah. And another thing you mentioned was the 80 20. And I know you talked about this in your TED talk as well as like, okay, let's say, you know, Friday morning, this was the picture you painted of, you know, going into your office break room, there's the donuts, you have one or two, and then you're like, F it, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. And this weekend, you know, so if in an instance like that, where you find that you are making a choice, which you would consider in the 20% realm, what can you tell yourself to encourage how to reset from there? Yeah. So I actually, that's the second tip I give. And I say that um, it's important to break the might as well thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like you go yeah. in, there's a box of donuts. You try really hard to resist because they don't align with your current health goals, but you end up having a few. And for so many people that triggers the might as well thinking, well, might as well have, you know, nachos for lunch and pizza and beer for dinner. Cause I've already blown it. And so what we have to realize is that, you know, that, that one, two, even three donuts that you had first thing in the morning, that did not make or break your success. Okay. You just started eating. You have the rest of the day to, you know, fuel with whole food nutrition and reset, um, to keep yourself 
within the 20% and on track. But for so many people, they feel so defeated that they automatically give up. So the biggest strategy that you can do in order to create this consistency is to find your ability to reset immediately after a meal that doesn't align with your current goals. You know, recognizing that, okay, I just had donuts, you know, in the past, I would have used it as an excuse to just eat everything that I'm craving right now and and get it all in and maybe reset in three days on Monday. Um, But instead, I'm going to go ahead and eat that salad with salmon that I packed for lunch. I'm going to go ahead and you know, proceed with my healthy dinner I had planned. And I'm not going to let that one food choice derail me because it's not the donuts that will set you back. It's what you do after the donuts that potentially will. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point of the fact of like, people just have this, like you said, all or nothing, but also this concept of I failed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the Um, positive self-talk and the compassion can really come into play and just letting go of this idea of failure in this quote unquote journey, if you will, and spin it and be like, okay, I made a choice that doesn't serve me as well as choices I've made in the past or whatever. What can my next choice be? And so it's just when you, and then this whole idea of you're just making choices that either take you in the direction of your goals or take you away from it. That's just a more empowering than just be like, okay, I failed. Like, what does it matter? Yeah. And the other thing that I really try to stress to people is like, you know, when you come out of that, you know, you come out of the end of those donuts, you're going to, you're going to be mad. I mean, I I'm mad at myself, you know, why did I do that? Like I, they, they make me feel like shit They, you know, why did I do that? And, and ultimately I always tell my clients, I'm like, I want you to think back and, you know, I, did you, did you enjoy, you know, Mm -hmm. did you love the taste of those donuts? Did you enjoy them? You know, Mm -hmm. did they make you, uh, I mean, was it a good experience, you know? And it's like, if it, if, if you didn't enjoy them, if they were like, you know, subpar donuts, but you still ate three of them, you know, if you didn't, you know, um, love it, then remind yourself that, you know, and and I do that a lot. Um, I have, I had a real issue with food waste, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. for the longest time. Um, If people would leave a pie at my house, I just, I couldn't throw it away. Like I felt like I had to eat it or I'd be wasting it, you know? Yeah. And and somebody said something to me a couple of years ago that really impacted me. And what she said was, you know, you're going to either waste the food in the trash can or you're going to waste the food in your body. So which do you Mm. prefer to do? And so now I don't have any qualms about throwing food out because it's a waste either way, you know, and I'd much rather waste it in the wastebasket than waste it inside me. So I always like to really encourage people, you know, if, if, if you, if you love, you know, I mean, if you're eating that key lime pie, you know, eat it slowly taste it, enjoy it, savor it. But if you take one bite and you're like, this is subpar, don't eat it. And it really comes down to, again, you know, you're, you're eating for, you know, true enjoyment and pleasure. Like it's worth it. Okay. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I needed to hear that myself because I'm right there. I hate wasting food. And, you know, it's not necessarily like from the story of better finish your plate or kids will be starving in Africa. Like I, but it's just, I think for me, there was a time in my life where I was kind of like living paycheck to paycheck. And so if like I had something, I had to like make it into a meal and then I had to like, you know, so I, and it's funny because just yesterday I um, didn't finish my entire lunch and my husband, um, lovingly bust my plate and he like made this like snide comment. And I was like, well, I'm not going to eat to pass the point of I'm, I'm satiated. Right. And even hearing myself say that I was like, Oh, I feel like I've, you know, come a long way with that story of like, I I need to eat this because I'm never going to eat again, or I'm like throwing pennies down the drain or whatever. So I think that's a lot of people have that block and story probably. No, absolutely. And it, and then I think for most people, it is a, it is a, you know, frugal or it is just like, you know, I mean, food is expensive yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, we want to, we don't want to waste it, but that type of food, again, it, it's a waste either way. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, I, I want to highlight you because I feel as if you are an example of someone who's actually living this lifestyle, making it sustainable. You're a busy entrepreneur. You're a mom, you're a wife. Um, so I think it's important for people to know about how much of an inspiration you are, but I would also be curious because I'm like, are there ever any days where you're just, you know, you're tired, you're low energy, you don't want to cook. Like, what are those shortcuts that you take to still stay in your, you know, sustainability, if you will. Um, but that might be a little bit like easier for you to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, and I, 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 I am an open book. I, I share the good and the bad. And, and I always tell my clients, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not doing myself. You right. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to absolutely practice what I preach. Um, but it is hard, you know, uh, with regards to, I mean, I, that's what I say. I was like eating, eating like shit is effortless. It takes zero effort. You know, you drive yeah. through, drive yeah. through, you order door, de- you know, whatever. Um, and yep. eating healthy, it does take effort, but finding ways to simplify healthy eating, I think is really key. And I do think that we are in uh, a, a time where healthy eating is a lot easier. There are a lot of convenience, healthy foods, you know, buying your broccoli washed and pre-chopped. Yes, you're going to pay more, mm-hmm. but that does save you time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm like the bag salad queen, you know, I think it's better to grab a bag salad and some rotisserie chicken than it would be to go through and get a hamburger and French fries. So, yeah. you know, again, simplifying your ability to eat more vegetables and, and, you know, um, whole food nutrition on the go. Um, mm-hmm. I do believe that, you know, when we take one to two hours through on the weekend, maybe Sunday, um, to consider our food choices for the week to come to consider our schedule, um, to look at the nights that are going to be easy to cook and the nights we're going to be running around with kids. Um, you know, uh, another strategy is I'll make one lunch, eat it all week. Um, I, I think that that stuff, it matters. You know, yeah. I always say one to two hours in your kitchen on Sunday saves you six to seven for the week to come. Yeah. Um, and it just comes back to, you know, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Mm. You know, you can't be successful without some sort of, plan in front of you. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, you know, the easier it becomes. And the, the last tip that I would just say, because I think, again, people overthink, you know, family dinners, they overthink healthy lunches is I think if every family has 10 core recipes, yeah. you know, those 10 core healthy, again, meatloaf and mashed potatoes is healthy, um, that your family will eat you know, that you can rotate through every two weeks, like stop, stop reinventing the wheel. I mean, I grew up on five meals. Like my mom cooked five meals and I don't remember ever complaining, you know? Right. Um, Right. So having those kind of go-tos that just simplify your life, um, you know, my kids will be like, Oh, you know, we don't have time. Let's run through Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, no, we, I have plenty of time to ground some ground beef and make us tacos when we get home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that that really helps as well. And speaking of kids, you know, do you instill, um, this, these mindsets on your children and how have you done so? Kids are hard. I mean, they're real hard, you know? Um, and it's funny because I mean, uh, you know, my kids live on hot Cheetos and, you know, Gatorade, unfortunately, but, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I think the best thing that you can do with your children is expose exposures key. You know, you have to put the healthy foods on their plate every single time. It doesn't matter if they never eat them. It has to be there and it's gotta be on your plate. If dad doesn't eat broccoli and he never puts broccoli on his plate, don't think your kids are going to eat broccoli. You can get because dad doesn't have to eat it. So, you know, I think things like that in terms of, you know, the best thing that you can do for your children is to continue to offer it, you mm-hmm. know, um, have a basket of fruit out on the table that they can eat unlimited, you know, make the snacks, the snackier foods, things that are, you know, not unlimited. Um, and, you know, just do your best. I mean, I think the more that you create, um, you know, um, issues around dinner time, the more it's fighting, the more yeah. it's forcing making, the worse it gets, you know? Yeah. 
So for me, it's just like, I put it there and I lead by example. I show them why I'm eating it. Um, There's always one or two safe foods, you know, so there's always something on their plate. I know they're going to eat. And, you know, you just do your best. Yeah. Um, The last thing is, is, you know, my, my kid, my mom will come visit me and she's like, there's not a damn thing to eat in this house, you know? And, and, uh, and, you know, in reality, I don't stock a ton of junk in my house, but a, because I'll eat it. Um, but B, because I feel like my kids are so exposed to junk food outside the home. That's where we get it. You know, if we're at the movie theater, we get a treat. If we're out, we get some ice cream. So, you know, I think that if you, if you stock a bunch of junk in your house, then it's much harder to get your kids to, to make those healthier choices because there's so many other options available. So, um, you know, that would be my last tip, but kids are hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, leading by example and really modeling the behavior and at the same time, kind of expressing your reasoning, why you're making the choices that you are. I mean, you, have no idea how much they absorb. And, you know, I'm a testament to someone who like, I don't think I had a salad until I was like 16 years old. And, you know, I was like the pickiest kid going into teenage years too. And, um, would say I was eating a lot of things that were not health supportive. And, um, you know, I didn't discover this lifestyle until my mid to late twenties. So you never know, right. You never know. Like, it's just, yeah, they're going to kind of do it. Yeah. I lived on uh, little Caesar's crazy bread. So I feel like there's hope. hope. Absolutely. For sure. And and the way that I think a lot of mothers get real like uptight, because I do feel like we grew up in the diet culture where our moms were always Weight Watchers, cabbage soup diet. For sure. And that, you know, we're all worried about disordered eating and things like that. And, you know, the way that I always phrase, you know, like, mom, why don't, why don't you eat a taco? Why do you eat a taco salad? It it all comes down to, it just doesn't make me feel good. You know, Yeah. I don't feel good when I eat those foods and and I love to eat this big taco salad. So it's, it's always about how you feel, you know, those foods don't make me feel good. It's never about, you know, um, well, those foods make me fat and right. I, exactly. Those foods are too high in carbs and, you know, things like that. I think, I think if we're instilling, you know, more about, um, you know, foods and nutrients and things like that versus, you know, macronutrients, I think the conversation is just better. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a couple more questions in the time that we have left. Um, you know, I know that you are, um, you know, big into fitness and, you know, weight training and things like that. So, um, talk more about how fitness fits into your life and kind of like your views on it and, um, how you stay motivated. Well, I always say diet is 80%. Mm -hmm. You can't out exercise a bad bad diet. I feel like people use exercise as an excuse not to eat healthy. Right. Um, so I think that's important to note. Um, for me, I, I'm a huge proponent of strength training. You know, I think most women need to be focused on more strength exercise than cardio. Mm-hmm. We are Apple watch obsessed. And the only workouts we want to do are the ones that burn the most calories. And they're not the most effective uh, for weight loss and or your health. Mm-hmm. Um, women, as we age, one of the biggest reasons why our metabolism drops is sarcopenia, the loss of, of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that we need to be lifting heavy things. I think we need to be in, in, in some cases when you're starting out, your body is a heavy thing. So just squatting your body weight yeah. is where you start. Um, so, you know, I think exercise is vital. I think movement is vital, you know, um, where people get into big issues as they age is their ability to transfer, you know, your inability to sit in a chair and stand up is what will determine how quickly you, you know, die. Um, and so staying physically active, um, should be something that we're all, you know, concerned about. So, um, I love exercise. I'm kind of, I would be a gym rat. Like if I could spend four hours in the gym a day, I would, I know that's not how most people are. I was a competitive gymnast, um, growing up. So, um, but you know, I think just overall movement makes me feel better. Um, it's, it's definitely a stress management, you know, tool that I use. And I think at the end of the day, you have to find something you love. You know, yes. mm-hmm. and I yeah. think, it, you know, once you find something you love, then exercise is not, doesn't take effort, you know, right. you right. enjoy doing it. So 
if you do love running, then there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. All really good points. Um, the last thing I would say about yeah. exercise uh-huh. is anything is better than none. You know, yes. so I think that that's the last thing is people are like, well, I don't have time to work out four days a week, so I'm not going to work out. Well, if you exercise once a week, that's better than none. If you yeah. exercise twice a week, that's better than, you know, once. Yeah. So um, if you walk 2000 steps a day, well, it's not realistic to, to aim for 10,000, but aim for 3000 steps a day. So right. And Again, even if breaking that all or nothing mindset. You know? Yeah. And even if this concept of fitting in a workout isn't um, realistic for your lifestyle, it's like, okay, let's shift that to movement and knowing that as human beings, we're meant to move every single day. So how can you just incorporate more movement into your, you know, maybe it's um, instead of sitting down at a desk, it's raising it up to be a standing desk. So you can kind yes. of walk around a little bit more. So it's just those small steps that lead to big results. Yeah. Um, so we're almost out of time, but I, as promised, I want to circle back into the alcohol thing. Um, and just would love your opinion on that because, you know, yes, with COVID, I probably, um, have, I just love a glass of wine at the, every, at the end of the day. And especially kind of in this, um, chapter that I am now, I'm like, Oh, Mason, this is mom's bottle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So you're not a big fan of drinking every day. So let's kind of hear your take on it and how to kind of establish healthier relationship with it. Yeah. I mean, alcohol, it it is, it's really tricky. Here's, here's the, my biggest issue with alcohol is how significantly it impacts your sleep and Mm -hmm. you guys sleep I mean, as a new mom, you know, I mean, you know, sleep deprivation is real and, and we are all struggling with, you know, lack of quality sleep. And again, as we age, especially women who struggle with that midsection bloat, it is a sleep issue. It is an inflammation, alcohol, sugar, maybe gluten, dairy issue. Um, It is a stress issue. So (laughs) Um, so my biggest issue with alcohol, even just that one glass a night is the impact it has on your sleep. Now I wear an aura ring, which is like a hell, it's like a whoop. It's like a health tracker. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, and I see this across the board with all my clients that wear aura rings or whoops or whatever. If I have one ounce of alcohol, my sleep score drops to 60. It's oh, crap. Wow. Okay. So again, it's kind of like the CGM, you yeah. know, having that real life feedback to show how detrimental even just one glass of wine, four ounces of wine has on my recovery and sleep, you know, that alone just makes me not want to drink every day. Yeah. Um, you know, I want my sleep score to be 90. So, so that's my biggest issue with alcohol is the impact of sleep and, um, you know, recovery. Number two is just the metabolic response. So as I mentioned, alcohol is the fourth macronutrient and because alcohol, there's nowhere to store it in the body. It is a toxin. It has to be metabolized first and foremost. So the example that I give is if you sit down and you eat chicken, broccoli, and a glass of water, as soon as you're done eating, your body's going to start breaking down the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats and metabolizing those um, right when you're done eating, if you sit down to chicken, broccoli, and a glass of wine, as soon as you're done eating, your body's going to store all the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats from the chicken and broccoli while it works for the next four to six hours to break down the alcohol and get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So when people say alcohol slows down your metabolism, unfortunately that is true. So you kind of get a four to six hour metabolic hit you know, after your, your alcoholic beverage. So, um, so again, it just makes weight loss, you know, a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and I think the health benefits that we hear about with regards to like red wine and resolvitol, I'm probably saying that wrong, you know, um, it's, it doesn't outweigh the negative impact it has, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I personally don't see alcohol, anywhere in a healthy diet, you know? Um, but I do still live in 80, 20, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would never look at like, Oh, I'm drinking this glass of wine for my health. 
You know, right, right. I'm looking at it as, as I'm doing this 20% because mama needs a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, again, I think, you know, taking a really hard look at your alcohol consumption and, you know, does it align with your 80, 20 goal, mm-hmm. um, is, is, is important. Yeah. So true. I mean, last week there was one night where, and I mostly, um, I drink white wine, but one night I was like craving a glass of red wine. And so I had one and just was up every two hours. Like I had woke up every two hours. And so I was just like, well, of course my thinking was like, okay, I'll go back to white wine, but But it definitely puts things in perspective. And especially for someone during this time, um, in my life and how I want to feel good. And, um, I do have you know, not, it's not about weight, but I do have some of the baby weight to lose. And so it just, you know, it it can be motivating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So my last question is just where can people find you? Where can they work with you? Um, yeah. Tell people. Yeah. So I'm super active on social media. Um, follow me on Instagram, Amanda Nybert, RD, Um, and you know, I just put out, honestly, just share my daily activities, how I'm eating healthy, you know, what exercise I'm doing, um, just feed you just constant information about how you can elevate your own health. Um, and then also, I mean, I have a website that you can jump on with some helpful blogs and, and things like that. So yeah, check it out. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Amanda, for coming on here. And it's just always such a treat to talk with you and, um, hear our you know, get so many wonderful insights just from your wealth of knowledge. Um, so I just appreciate it. And it's so great to just call you a colleague and a friend. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you.